Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Acts chapter 16, verses um, 16 to 40. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned um, around and said to the spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And that moment, the spirit left her. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The crown joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and um, fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we are all here. Then. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At the At the hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed um, their wounds. Then immediately, he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to, and he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When it was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave, go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into the prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No, let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates 
And when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appear, appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Then they left. Thanks to be God. Well read. Thank you, Hannah. Uh, great to be with you. And uh, this is part one of two. We're thinking about how the gospel changes lives in the city, and we're thinking about Paul's second missionary journey, uh, where the gospel goes for the first time into, the, uh, into Europe today, Philippi, and after this, it's going to go into uh, uh, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, the great city of Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. The great city of Ephesus will be the climax of Paul's secondary missionary journey. Uh, this, is, this is chapter 16 to 20. He'll then go back to Jerusalem on a vital task, and then he'll end up go, wanting to go to Rome and making a plan to Rome, uh, where, which is the greatest city of the ancient world. So we're trying to pay specific attention to how does the gospel change lives in a city. We're a church. We're in a great city. So how does the gospel impact us, and how to impacting us can it impact the city? Well, we're going to see three things today. The gospel sets all types of people free in all types of ways. The gospel unites diverse people together into a new family of love. And the gospel creates a provocative counterculture that will attract and offend in equal measure. And that'll be part two next week. So let's dive right in. The gospel sets all types of people free in all types of ways. Acts 16 is remarkable because it basically says anyone can be set free by Jesus. Anyone. I think verse 26 summarizes what Acts 16 is all about. Everyone's chains came loose. Now, Luke, who's writing the sequel to his gospel, the book, the gospel of Acts, he writes a sequel to say, what happened to the church? What happened after Jesus ascended? The book of Acts. He writes part one, the gospel. Part two is the book of Acts. Uh, he says, everyone's chains came loose. Of course, he's talking about Paul and Silas, a miraculous de- deliverance. Uh, their chains came loose. All the other, all the, other the prisoners' chains came loose. The, the prison doors flew open. It's a miraculous intervention. But look more closely at the passage, because Luke is trying to talk about a deeper slavery that's not physical. He's saying everyone's chains came loose. Who's the first one? Now, we didn't get to look at it today, so let me read the verses there. Verses 13 to 15. It says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate, this is Lydia, to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of them listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household baptized she invited us into her home if you consider me a believer in the Lord she said come and stay at my house and she persuaded us Lydia is a rich Asian businesswoman the first convert in Europe was actually an Asian and she's from the city of Thyatira she's a dealer in purple cloth luxury goods so she's really really rich because she has a house in Thyatira in Asia but you see here at the end of the passage she has a house in Philippi. She is minted. She has a house in Dublin and in Wexford and in Barcelona. She drives a Porsche during the week, BMW at the weekend. She is loaded. She's living the life we all want, but she's a seeker. In other words, she hasn't quite got what she wants. All her wealth and her status and opportunities and jet-setting cosmopolitan lifestyle 
have not given her what her heart desires. So she with some other women, maybe they were all the wealthy women who were not from Philippi, but God-fearers, had gone to the river. And there they, Paul found them. And he opened the scriptures with them and showed them that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And it says that beautiful verse, the Lord opened our hearts to respond. Her heart was a bit closed. She wasn't really free. Just as Paul and Silas needed the prison doors to fling open, so her heart needed to fling open. Despite the wealth, status, power, she wasn't truly free until she received Jesus. Money hadn't given her the happiness and security she wanted, but Paul gave it to her in Jesus' name with a quiet Bible study at a quiet river with a few women at the place of prayer. Lydia. Then the slave girl. In contrast to Lydia, who owns two homes, this slave girl doesn't even own herself. In fact, she's a slave twice over. She has human masters and a demonic one. She can predict the future because she's this demon. She's out of control. It's chaotic. She's mentally unstable. Compared Lydia and the slave girl, both females, both very powerful, one through money, one through a demon. One has a name, one doesn't. One's at the top of the socioeconomic ladder, one's at the bottom. One lives on Shaftesbury Avenue in D4, the other one on Sheriff Street in Dublin's inner city. One is converted through a nice, quiet Bible study with a few women by a quiet river at the place of prayer. The other one with a dramatic power encounter, power encounter right in the middle of the city and it's all noisy and it's all shouty. The gospel's for everyone. All types of people. And it comes in all types of ways. Now you might be wondering, was she not helping them? In verse 18 it says, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Well, isn't that sort of free advertising? Look, the scriptures tell us the demons have better theology than you and I. Demons know Jesus better than us in terms of understanding, but they don't submit to him. So she knows there's a power at work in the demon anyway through Jesus' name, but she's trying to undermine that because we're not in a city that leads to Jerusalem. We're in a city that leads to Rome. Philippi is a Roman colony. This is where pagans live. There's not even a synagogue. There's 10 women or something that meet by a river. You have to have 10 men to have a synagogue. There's not even a... Who is the most high God if you're in a pagan Greco-Roman city? Zeus. He's the chief God. He's the king of the gods. The great high God is Zeus. It's not Yahweh of the Old Testament. It's not Jesus of the New Testament. And the phrase, she had a spirit by which she predicted the future, is actually, she had the spirit of a python. But it makes no sense for our English translation. What well, spirit of a python, what does that mean? Well, the symbol of Apollos, the son of Zeus, was a snake. And a snake hung over the temple of Apollo. And Apollo was thought to be embodied in the snake and to inspire Pythonesses, his female devotees with clairvoyance and ventriloquists, different kinds of voices and abilities to predict the future. This slave girl is attributing the ministry of Paul not to Jesus, but to Zeus and Apollo, distract, undermine the devils at work. And after many days of shouting and misleading the crowds who are thinking, are these people followers of Zeus? Paul gets so annoyed, he casts the demon out. So the gospel sets free people free. You can be rich, have a cosmopolitan lifestyle in two houses, and you can be set free with a quiet Bible study about Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament by a river with some other women. Or you can be 
mentally unstable, demon-possessed, out of control. You don't own yourself. You've got cruel slave owners. You're a victim. And you can have a dramatic power encounter where you meet Jesus and he sets you free. Thirdly, the Roman jailer. Notice the contrast here. He's likely to be a middle-aged man finishing off his career after serving hard in the Roman army. Being a Roman jailer was a kind of nice retirement job. You know, your pension, you'd been a good Roman soldier. He'd seen guts and glory. He'd probably killed people. He was on the Roman army. This is, this is how Rome conquered, and he was part of that regime. He was probably a man that wouldn't let his emotions be shown. Probably a hardened man. Probably a man that kept himself to himself was happy just to have a quiet life. He wasn't as fancy as Lydia. He wasn't as desperate as a slave girl. He probably didn't let people in. He was just middle-of-the-road kind of guy. He wanted a quiet life after a pretty hard life. But Paul and Silas didn't give him anything but a quiet life. We'll think about that in a minute. But let's consider that Luke is trying to say there's a physical slavery of Paul and Silas, but it's really talking about a deeper spiritual slavery. Again, verses 23 and 24. Let's listen, because the detail Luke gives us about the imprisonment is unusual. After they had been severely flogged, not just flogged, they were not just put in prison, thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. They're given, like, special attention. So what does he do? When he received these orders, he put them in the where? inner cell, no light, very little fresh air, and fasten their feet. I mean, they're in the inner cell, and he's fastening. He's trying to say, look how enslaved, and look how cruel this jailer is being to them. And the stocks is not like kind of, they just had their, uh, their feet would have been separated. It would have been pretty painful for for a man. I won't get into the details. So Luke is drawing a severely flogged, thrown into prison, clearly guarded by the jailer, clearly ordered to to, to look after them. Uh, The inner inner cell, fastening their feet, torturing them. They're physically enslaved and being treated cruelly. But one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening. Paul and Silas, friends, were not enslaved. They're singing hymns. You guys can't get to a prayer and worship night like me. Whereas, oh, it's the end of a week. It's time. They're singing, having a prayer and worship night in prison. Isn't that amazing? All night, they're singing. They're praying. Their hearts are free. Their minds are free. You can physically chain them. But their hearts and God's words are never changed. They're not fearful. They're not bitter. They've discovered something that means you can flog me. My body can be bleeding. You can fasten me in the inner cell. I, can, I can't see. It's all dark. So I have to rush in and put the lights on. You'll see that later in a minute. It's a miserable time. And they're singing. And they're singing. They're full of joy. And yet in contrast to the, the, the jailer, he has the keys. He's the one who can set people free, isn't he? But he's the one that needs setting free. He's the one that's really enslaved in this story. Yeah, he has power over them to set them physically free, but there's a much deeper slavery. What's his slavery? Can you see it, verse 27? What What is his slavery? The jailer woke, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He'd assumed everyone had fled. And what was his response? Well, I better kill myself. I failed at my job. 
I can't face myself. He's a Roman, he's a Roman soldier, now a Roman jailer. His whole life had been about duty and honor and dignity and doing a job well. And he'd failed to do his job well. So he couldn't face himself in the morning. And he certainly couldn't face the embarrassment of facing his authorities, who probably would have killed him for failing to do his job. But he thought, I'm going to do that myself. What was he a slave to? His reputation and his reputation at work. How good am I at work? What do people think of me at work? Am I... He couldn't, his whole life, his whole identity for the whole of his life was tied up with being a good Roman soldier, now jailer. His dignity and honor was tied to his job and now he'd failed and there was only one thing for it, to kill himself. He's not free. The Bible says whatever you place your, your whatever you put your hope in to give you ultimate validation, whatever you put your, your heart towards and say, if my... I I, I can face myself if I can do this. Whatever you say, this will give me security, this will give me happiness. You will serve that thing, and it'll be your master. And there's only one master in this world who's not cruel, and there's only one savior in this world who has mercy. And so if you give your heart to anything other than Jesus, you'll be a slave to it. You'll serve it. And suffering is the moment, a setback, Constructive feedback, failure at work, rejection, hostility. And you'll suddenly discover that you're a slave and you haven't found a freedom. You haven't found a meaning in life. Whereas Paul and Silas, they're in prison. But what's their meaning in life? What have they sought for validation in life? Jesus. You can put them in prison, but you can't take Jesus from them. Nothing. Their master can never be taken from them. He's always with them. If the greatest love, if the thing you build your life on is your job or money or reputation or a relationship or, 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 or success, suffering can hurt you and devastate you. So you think, I just want to kill myself. Failure, criticism, setback, it destroys you. But if your greatest meaning in life is Jesus, he can never be taken from you. Even if you're put in the inner cell and your feet are fastened to the stocks, he's still there. Do you see there's a contrast? The jailer has the keys, but he's the slave. Paul and Silas are in the inner stocks, and they're free. If Jesus is your meaning in life, you can sing in a prison. Joy and peace in suffering is the great mark of spiritual freedom. If the high-flying Lydia got a gentle Bible study by a quiet river, and the demon-possessed slave girl got a highly charged power encounter in the noisy city, the Roman jailer gets a crisis event at his workplace. The foundations of his world fall apart and he's in crisis and he's shaken to the core. But that leads to the doors of his heart being opened to the gospel. A song that I sang on my wedding day that I love must be inspired by this chapter by Charles Wesley. And verse four says, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, Fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The jailer had finally been set free. How do I know? Verse 33, he washes Paul and Silas's wounds from the flight. He, he was a minute ago tightly, well, an hour or so ago tightly, put in their chains in the stocks. Now he was washing 
their wounds. Verse 34, he invites them back to their house. And he says they were filled with joy after the word of the Lord was spoken to him. The hardened, set, the hardened jailer had become soft. And remarkably, Paul and Silas and the prisoners don't run away. They stay for the next morning. Imagine that you turn up in the morning, they're all sitting there without their chains on. We'll come to that next week. Why did they do that? What's the message of Acts 16? Verse 26, everyone's chains fell off. But Paul and Silas, they went the real chains. There were bigger chains at work here. The chains around the heart of Lydia, the chains around the heart of the slave girl, and the chains around the heart of the Roman jailer came off. A freedom that can bring you joy and peace in suffering. A number of months ago, in our morning congregation, we baptised a man called Jason. I asked permission to share his baptism story briefly. Jason's had a, a, a very challenging upbringing, and he, he'd, uh, he'd tried to commit suicide uh, many, many times. And on his last time, he, he had a miraculous sort of deliverance out of a, a river, and, uh, but he had to go to prison because of, of things he'd done. And he was sentenced for six years in prison. But he said on his baptism, t- and, and God met him in prison and saved him, and it's remarkable how he's doing and uh, he said, though, on the day I was set, sent to prison, uh, to, he said, on the day I was sent to prison, I was set free from a prison in my mind. Mm-hmm. He was an alcoholic since the age of, he was a teenager. He never drunk a drop of alcohol since. He discovered Jesus in prison. He was set free in prison. And he walked out of his prison spiritually the day he was sent to prison. The gospel sets people free. A freedom that no prison cell can contain. What's the application? We all need it. We all need it, friends. You can't be too sorted and rich like Lydia. You can't be too cool and cosmopolitan like Lydia. You can't be too up and coming and I've got it all. You need it. You need it. Because there's no freedom like it. And all it will take is if you're like a Lydia, you go, I've got my good career, my nice job, my... just a bit of suffering and your world will crumble. So find him now. Let him set you free now. But you also can't be too desperate, like the slave girl. You don't know my life, Steve. You don't know how awful it's been. You don't, I was a victim. My parents failed me. My, my school failed me. My, my, everyone failed I me. And I was just abused like this slave girl in my own way. You can't be too... Don't worry. Jesus will be there. He'll know how to set you free. He knows how to heal you. You can't be too sorted like Lydia, too desperate like the slave, slave girl. And you can't be too hardened like the jailer to be beyond Jesus' liberating powers. He can loosen your chains too. He can set you free. He can give you a freedom independent of your circumstances so you can sing in prison. So what's the marker that you've, set, you've been set free? What's the marker of true conversion? Or what's the marker that you're increasingly being set free by the liberating power of Jesus? Well, the first thing is baptism. Do you see that? They all get baptized. I'm converted. What do I do? Baptism. Both Lydia and the jailer. Second thing, well, I've got to start. They, they, they invite them to the house, don't they? So we see Lydia, verse 15. Uh, we see it says, when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to, to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us as if Paul was like, I'm not sure it's a, come and stay, she sang. Verse 34, the, the jailer does the same. And he's washing the wounds and there's a tenderness and so baptism, I identify with God's people and I ask for accountability from God's people. And then the hospitality, open up my home, open up my heart, open up my life, open up my possessions. I want to meet with God's people. I want to serve them. I want to bind up their wounds. I want, to disc- I want them to bind my wounds up. 
I want to share my possessions. I want to be together. When can we sing? When can we pray? When can we... It's one of the great signs you've been converted and you're increasingly... You just want to be with God's people and celebrate the freedom that you have. So Acts 16 tells us not only how powerful the gospel is to free anyone, no matter how sorted, desperate, or hardened you are, whether through a Bible study by a river that's very quiet or a power encounter in the city that's very noisy or a crisis event at work when it all goes wrong for you. It also tells us the power of the gospel to unite people across all earthly divides. Lydia, the slave girl, and the middle-aged jailer. What does it say in verse 40? They're all meeting in Lydia's home. I mean, what a church. What a church. Can you imagine it? So diverse. Imagine, imagine being the slave girl going, whoa, this is some house, isn't it? Do you know? I didn't own myself a minute ago. Now I'm eating with Lydia. Oh, this is good. Christianity is not for uh, one type of person. Every type of person can become a Christian. It's the thing that makes Christianity so remarkable compared to all world religions and all world views. Christianity is so rich and so flexible that it can reach anyone. 90% of Muslims live in a band from Southeast Asia to the Middle East and North Africa. That band. Over 95% of all Hindus are in India and immediate areas. 88% of Buddhists are in East Asia. The majority of atheists are white, middle-class Westerners. Do you know? All the world religions and all the worldviews, there's kind of one type of person that fits. It's not that their, their, their story, their message isn't rich and flexible enough to reach anyone and everyone. Christianity. 25% of Christians live in Europe. 25% in Central and South America. 22% in Africa, 15% and the fastest growing in Asia, and just 12% in North America. Why is, so, why is Christianity so flexible and rich? I'll tell you why, because it's true. It's the only one that actually sets people free from all types of slavery. It's the one, it's, it, it works because it's true. Because it's true, it works for all people. There's not one type of person, there's not one type of culture. The gospel is flexible enough and rich enough for everyone, for you and you and I all need it. Around a similar time, maybe a year later, Paul wrote a very famous letter to the church in Galatia and words that literally revolutionized the world. You know, we talk about gender equality today. Paul started to ripple. What did he say? There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. Jew nor Gentile? The Roman jailer. He's a Gentile. Slave nor free, the slave girl, she was a slave. Male nor female, Lydia. The gospel creates a radically different community that is found nowhere else on earth. We are united across all earthly divides. This is what makes Christianity so unique. Every people group has to unite around something, something you have in common, an education, a race, a hobby, an accent, a skin color, a nationality, a socioeconomic status, politics, sexual identity, a whole host of other things. This is what unites us together as a group. But whatever unites you automatically at best means you distance yourself from others unlike you, or at worst, as we're seeing in our world today, you demonize those who are unlike you, who don't share that commonality. We have so much identity politics and culture wars right now. We can't get on. We can't, if, if you don't agree with me, I can't stand you. Because whatever unites you will automatically separate you from others you disagree with. But what do we see here? Because the gospel is a gospel of grace. No one has anything to boast in. Enemies are united. 
the jailer only hours earlier had been torturing Paul and Silas. He was the enemy. He'd put their feet in the inner stocks. And yet now he's washing their wounds. Once Jesus demolishes the walls in our hearts, he also breaks down the dividing wall of hostility between humans. In Jesus, Russians and Ukrainian Christians can meet as brothers and sisters in Jesus' name, and they have been. In Jesus, UCD and TCD can sit in one church and be united. That was a joke, but anyway, you missed it. It's only the gospel that creates this kind of community. Don Carson puts it like this, the church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural group, but because they've been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that we've all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. What's the application? An unmistakable sign of true conversion and the deep freedom Jesus brings is a new and profound love for the family of God to people who aren't like you. This is our con. We need to hear this. When you come on a Sunday, don't just find your group. When you make Christian friends, don't just be your type. Go back, go beyond an, an, a different nationality, a, a different race, a different background. Because we unite. we're not just friends again, we happen to all get on. With Jesus is what unites us. And so we look out for, we seek out, we eat together, we pray together, we sing together, we want to be together with people that aren't. Because you know Jesus, I want to know you. Because Jesus set you free, let me tell you how, can we sing of the freedom together? And this church, by the way, is a great little picture of heaven, isn't it, with all the nationalities? We have. John Stott put it this way the New Testament knows nothing of an unchurched Christian. The gospel in the city sets all types of people free in all types of ways. It unites diverse people together into a family of love. And we're going to, I'll mention it now and we'll look at it next week. It creates a provocative counterculture which attracts and repels. The gospel is so powerful, the gospel has such freedom within it that it challenges the status quo in a city. And some people go, oh, Paul says, I smell that, and it smells like everything my heart's ever wanted. And you're like Lydia, and your heart's open. You are oh, the church. It brought me a message, and it showed me a community. This is what my heart has all been waiting for. We had a lady at Connect this morning. She converted during COVID. You know, online, she joined our services. She's now able to join our physical services. And she said, you know, I always thought Christians like this. And I came to CCC and this, she said, this is what my heart always wanted. And that, so for some people it attracts. And yet for some people it offends. And we're going to see that, I mean, Paul and Silas were put in prison. And next week in Thessalonica, there's a mob that tries to kill them. You see, some people find your freedom attractive, but others find it so offensive and they think you're weird and they think you're strange and they think, why do you do the things you do and why do you make the decisions you do and how do you have the value and your freedom brings a challenge to their life. And so we create a counterculture that has a ripple effect from our church into the city. Some people are saved and some people persecute us. We'll think about that next week. So let's finish and apply this to our lives. I mean, here's the application as I've prayed it myself. Does our life look anything like this? Does it? Do we have such a freedom, a joy and peace in all circumstances that suffering can't take away? 
Are we able to sing in a prison? And have we been set so free that we look to, look to find those brothers and sisters that aren't like us? To say, I want to know you and I want to bring you close and I want, I want to bind up your wounds and I want to share my house and I want to share my possessions with you. Or are we just hanging out with our mates because it's nice? Has your heart really been opened? Or is it partially opened? And you're holding on to something else to give you a meaning and a security. You know, I think, let me, let, let me, let me put it this way. Maybe there were three temptations for the three characters in the story. Maybe temptation for Lydia was to be a compromised Christian. You know, life is so good. I have everything I want. I have a great job. I have great money. I've got my house. And yeah, like, I'm a Christian, but like, don't touch my money. Don't touch my money. Maybe that's what her temptation. I don't, I don't want that level of freedom where you, you really open up my whole wallet. Not, not just my, my you, want, you want to open up my wallet? Ah, I'm a Christian, but don't touch my money. Then you haven't really known the freedom, because you, you think money's going to give you something that he can't. He can't give it you, but he can. You see? The room's gone very quiet. That's the freedom he wants to bring. The money's just money. It doesn't give you a significance. It doesn't give you a greater freedom. It doesn't give you great... He gives you all that, and then you can just have money as money and use it. A compromised Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but don't touch my wealth. No, no. Let, let Jesus open up your heart. Or maybe, like the slave girl, you could be an embittered Christian. Because you're always looking around at those that didn't have such a hard upbringing. You're just, oh God, why did, why did, they just had it easy their whole life. You know, you, I, you know what, God, what kind of life have you given me? And look at them and, and God says, let me free you. Let me free you from that bitterness and frustration and envy. Yeah, yeah you're like, and God will heal you. And he, and he knows what he's been doing and he knows your life and he can weep with you and, but he wants to set you free from comparison and looking at other people and being frustrated and jealous and where you can't trust others and you can't trust God. I know it's hard if that's been you, if you've been the victim and your, heart and your upbringing's been hard. This slave girl had a tough life, but Jesus can set you free. It's that powerful. Compromised Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but don't touch my money. Embittered Christian. Yeah, I'm a Christian, but like, I'm not really going to trust you and I'm going to be annoyed at them because they didn't have the life I had. And maybe you could then call it comfortable Christian, the jailer. I'm just going to settle for the path of least resistance. Yeah, like I'm a Christian, but like don't rock the boat. Don't ask too much of me. Like don't, don't ask me to sing and be like, you know, freak in front of people in prison. You know, like just don't, don't ask too much, Jesus. Don't set me free that much when my heart is overflowing all the time. Like I want to kind of fit in here, you know. That's the jailer, isn't it? A comfortable path of least resistance. It's interesting in that famous parable that Jesus tells, the parable of the soils. And he says the word goes out, doesn't he? And some is on the path and the devil snatches it straight away. And then he says some goes in and it starts to be all joyful. But then what happens? Suffering because of the word and it quickly fades away. Didn't have the foundation. Didn't have the freedom to handle suffering. And then the third one, it says it went in but then it got choked. And, and the, the chains came back around. And what were the chains it says in that parable? The worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things. It's easy to be a Christian without being a fruit-bearing Christian because you're still in chains. You're still being choked. You haven't got the freedom and joy that Paul and Silas have. So how does your heart open? Or how does it open a bit more? How does it continue to open through life's ups and downs? 
How does Jesus continue to set us free from the, the chains of pleasure and money and popularity and reputation and comforts? How does Jesus open your heart? Well, think about Lydia. Jesus would one day become ugly, really ugly. Isaiah said he was so marred, his face was beyond any human appearance. They despised him, they mocked him, they took chunks out of him like they took chunks out of Paul and Silas. He became ugly so she could discover a beauty her purple cloth could not give her. A beauty in the gospel that he, she sees the son of God dying for her and her heart is set free. Or think of the slave girl. He, he became a slave for me. The slave girl's going, the son of God, the almighty creator of all things, became a slave so I could be set free. Or think of the Roman jailer. He was put in chains. He was nailed to a cross. He was physically put on a cross. And what did he do on the cross? He forgave his enemies and he offered salvation to the soldier at the foot of the cross. Look to Jesus and you'll be set free. Look to the cross. He became ugly so you could be beautiful. He became a slave so you could be free. He became a victim to bring you healing. Look to him and be set free. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Look to him and be set free. Let's take a moment to, to be still. And then I'll pray and think about how to respond to this together. Take a moment just to consider an area in your life where you long for greater freedom, where you know there's chains around your hearts and you long for Jesus' power to come in and set you free. You can't be too sorted, too desperate or too hardened. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance to look at your word together. We pray now as we respond in song and as we respond in prayer and as we allow your word into our hearts afresh that our hearts will be set free in new and deeper ways. Set us free even now as we sing. Loosen our tongues, loosen our minds, loosen our hearts to revel in the freedom that you've won for us. Show us areas where we need to repent and let go and, and trust you instead of trusting other things. I pray for those that know they fall into the Lydia trap of life's kind of good and they maybe don't need you very much. You'd set them free from the deceitfulness of wealth and success. We pray for those that feel like the slave girl, they've been a victim and life has been harsh and hard. That you'd set them free from those pains and any bitterness that's set in. And we pray for those like the Roman jailer that know they just opt for the path of least resistance and a nice comfortable life. Set them free from that compromise, Lord. Set us free in new ways, I pray, by your spirit now as we respond. In Jesus' name, amen.